The past couple of weeks, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the third week. We're actually looking at it. And uh, if you remember, way back a few weeks ago, we started with Jesus leaving the Jordan and going up to the region of Galilee and establishing his church. And then showing what it looked like for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand, right? He told everybody, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is yours, is at hand, is present. And he showed that as he taught, as he healed. And then we heard what it sounded like to be blessed. Being poor in spirit, blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Peacemakers, the meek, all those that were down and low and all those that saw that their need was beyond themselves. So the kingdom of heaven is yours. And we heard what it was like to be salt and light, to see what it was like for that kingdom of heaven to be present once again in and amongst the people this time as they go into the world, as they are sent out into the world to be the people that God has made them to be through Jesus. Their identity wrapped up in him in a way to be salt in and amongst a world to procure it and hold on to it and to be light in the midst of a darkness to bring understanding and to bring knowledge of the truth, Christ. Today's text, we hear a lot of law. We hear a lot of God's commandments, and see, there's a transitional point that we read last week, but we didn't really talk about much, and it's where Jesus is looking at his disciples whom he's teaching. He has the other people gathered around as they're there on that north end of the Sea of Galilee, as they're up on that plain, that mount, for this sermon, and he says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law, not at all, I've come to fill it up come to complete it, come to fulfill it, to bring a deeper understanding to it and to do it. Because that law isn't going to pass away. The order of expe the expectation of God's creation, the order in which things are supposed to run is not going to pass away until all things are accomplished. These are Jesus's words as he's talking to the disciples said not one jot or tittle, not one stroke of the letter of the law or one iota. He's talking about all of the little tiny pieces of actually how it's written. It's not going to go away. It's still going to have an effect. It's still going to keep things in order until he completes it. And so he starts to dig deeper and deeper into what that law looks like. You see, because the religious culture of the day, and oftentimes our mindset now, as we deal with the sin that has corrupted creation, we like laws that are checklists, expectations that we can manage and handle. It's nice and easy to say, oh, thou shalt not murder? Well, I haven't killed anybody. I guess I got that one down. Check that one off. But see, those are looking at maybe the face value of some of these commandments, right? And today you hear Jesus hit on some really deep ones. He talks about murder, he talks about adultery, and he talks about divorce. By no means can we get into a full discussion of all three of those 
in the next 10 to 15 minutes. All of those, when we talk about hatred, when we talk about adultery, and we talk about divorce, and we talk about marriage, all of those hit unique situations. And all of those unique situations that we all walk through in life take individual conversations as we talk. Yet all of them are also wrapped up in one idea. You see, this idea that separation is not part of the expectation for God's creation. That was a lot of alliteration, I'm sorry. But separation, things being apart from each other, being alone, being uh, hated between two brothers, or for a heart to be separate from another heart that it was bound to, or for spouses to be separate. It's not part of the expectation. It's not part of the original design. It's not part of how it would go. And I can guarantee you, as a child who has walked through homes where divorce has been present, that was not the expectation at the beginning of a marriage. Also in families. As Jesus talks to him, he says, you've heard it said, you, know, you shouldn't murder. And everybody says, yep, okay, got it. He says, but I tell you, if you have hated somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. If you're going to the altar to go leave a sacrifice, now pause for a second, remember geography. They're on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. The altar is at the temple in Jerusalem. That's a six-day walk. Okay, That's the first part. Also, if you were at the temple and you were going to place this particular type of uh, sacrifice on the altar, it's in the inner courts. This is in the depths of the altar. It's not just out on the temple grounds or somewhere else. You are in the midst of everything that is important where God has promised to forgive sins and everything else. And he says, if you're at that point, even at a high festival, and you know your brother's around, and there's a couple hundred other thousand people around, go find him. Go talk to him. Make things right. Reconcile things. Get back on the same page with your brother before you come and place that altar back here. Okay. See, Jesus is delving into the heart of the commandments. Jesus is delving into the heart of what it looks like for his children to live. He does the same with adultery. See, he digs into where our heart is at. And there's parts of Scripture that make no sense, right? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I wouldn't be able to see very well, nor would many of you, if we took that as a prescriptive thing that we're supposed to do. But he's pushing the idea. He's pushing the intent to the point to where you say, man, he's really serious about this. Because he says it's better for us to enter heaven with less of our body, which he could recreate, than to be thrown into hell. But see, we like those laws that are checklists, so sometimes we don't want to dig so deep. And this is the part of the Sermon on the Mount where we see Jesus, uh, for better or worse, following Lutheran theology. Okay, so we all knew Jesus was Lutheran, and that's how it works, right? So we walk through the law, right? The confirmation, when we walk through the catechism, when we walk through the small catechism and we're talking to the kids, we talk about the law having three uses. We talk about it having a, a curb use, a gui- a, not a guide, we're going to get to that one, a curb use in which it keeps everything in order, okay? Keeps everything in the world in order. Think of uh, gravity, 
Think of Newton's laws of thermodynamics. Think of planetary motion, all right? God's expectation for his creation. He set everything in order and he keeps it in order. Now, you can also get into the social aspect of things, and if you go into just about any culture out there, murder is wrong, okay? They could be Christian, they could be non-Christian, they could be tribal, you can go into any culture that's out there, and amongst their own, they're going to look at how to take care of one another, okay? Now, we get into the second use of what this law does, what God's law does, and it's called a mirror. So... If I were to walk around and have you all look at yourself for a while, I really wanted to figure out some way to have my phone here so you could just all see yourself on the screen <laughs> and make you look at yourself throughout the whole sermon. It's interesting. We start kind of moving our eyes around, averting our eyes a bit. Because if I were to really walk up and just have you look at yourself for a bit, it gets uncomfortable. Chuck and Leanne know that I love them. <laughs> but it starts to, <laughs> not right now. <laughs> I couldn't pick on my own family, I'm sorry. Um, but it starts to get uncomfortable. We start to see who we are. And as Jesus is standing there, and he's got a lot of people nodding their heads, and he starts walking through the commandments, they're saying, yeah, yeah, don't murder. And he says, no, no, no hold on, it's deeper than that. I want you to really know the heart of what God means in this. I really want you to know what this means to not murder. It means to not hate your brother. It means to be one with your brother, to be one with your family. It means to take care of one another. And all of a sudden, we start shrinking back. He says, and here's what it means to be adulterous, to have lust. Here's what it means for divorce. And we start seeing the depth at which God's law affects life. And we start looking deeper. And as I looked at this mirror, I thought, you know, that one's good, but it's not quite good enough. I remember one at my grandma's house. And maybe you've seen these too, especially the theater folk that are here. The convex mirrors, where you really see up close. And a lot of them have little lights that go around them. And so you have a mirror that's lit up that is magnifying everything. That's what it's like. And we start to break down a bit. But see, Jesus isn't just doing it for that sense. That is absolutely one sense of the law. The other sense of the law, then, is a guide. Okay, I won't make you all look at yourself anymore. At least not for now. The other one's a guide. If I want to hang something level, I get a guide, right? So you can tell when it's level. If I... Go to hang pictures like this. One, my wife will tell me it's wrong. Two, I know that the bubble's off. Okay, you got to get the bubble in the middle there, and then you know where it's at. This third part is not for all of society. This is not for everybody. This is for those that God has called into relationship, that he has made his own, that he is present among, that he has given his spirit to, that he then guides, because at this point, you're not worried about where you stand before God as much, but you're learning what it looks like to live in and amongst other people and take care of them, okay? The thing is, we don't move away from that one either, because I can guarantee you, as soon as I start to see what's level here and I hear God's word in my life, I see that my life is a little more like this sometimes. And so then, 
it leaves me once again in a place where we have to circle all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Because these texts, especially the ones today, where you hear all of that and then you hear the person up here say, this is the gospel of our Lord. You say, no, no, it's not. Is it? But see, as we move through this, as we see where we stand before God, as we see how we have taken care of others and how we haven't taken care of others, we move back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount because we see where we're left poor in spirit. We see where we're left beggarly and needing before God. We see where we are left as ones that cannot do it on our own and need God's presence in the midst of our lives, that need Jesus' forgiveness in the midst of our lives. And so daily, we see who he is for us. We see where we have failed as we really dig into God's expectation for his people and we see where we're forgiven because of God's promises. Because he says the kingdom of heaven is for those who are beggarly, open hands, poor in spirit, needing. And that kingdom of heaven is all that God has done on our behalf in Jesus Christ. His work, his accomplishments, his doing, his promises handed out as a free and gracious gift. And it's in those moments as we stand before our God and say, I can't do it. And he says, that's right, and I've done it for you. I have forgiven you through my son. I have taken care of you. I have called you by name, and you are mine because of my work, my grace, and my promises of life everlasting and forgiveness of your sins. And in case you missed it in the absolution, And in case that mirror started to bring a few other things to mind, remember what you heard. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because of what he has done. And he sends us out to take care of others, right? And so we do that, strengthened by his Spirit, and Throughout a service like this this morning, it's beautiful because you can hear that absolution in the beginning. You can hear those words of God's intent for our life and say, man, how I may not do that as well as I should sometimes. And then he says, you know what? I'm still present for you. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is yours. All that Jesus has done is yours. And you know where we find that? Right there. In that meal. He says, I promise to be with you. This bread, this is my body, I'm there. This wine, this is my blood shed for your forgiveness, I'm there. Where he promises to be is exactly where he is. And you get to receive that. So not only hear the forgiveness, but taste it, hold it. Know that Jesus is present for you. And then he says, I'm going to strengthen your faith through that. Make my spirit present in your life. Through that, so that you don't have to worry about who you are before God as much anymore because Jesus is taking care of that, but you then get to care for the people that are around you in the way that Jesus has cared for you. And it's beautiful because we get to point to God's glory in all that we do, thanking Him for the forgiveness that He has given us so freely in Jesus. We pray. Heavenly Father,
Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for taking care of us. Not just with the earthly means of things, but that you have made things right between us and you through Jesus' death and resurrection. Through your promise to bring your creation back to you. You've done the work. And we thank and praise you for that. Be with us as we sing that it would bring glory to you. Be with us as we receive your meal where you promise to be as you put forgiveness in our hands. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.